0: this reason i bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name i pray that according to the riches of his glory he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love i pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and forever. These are the words of Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21. Uh, This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. And I hope and pray that this is a prayer that we can pray for each other. A prayer that we can pray in the church and for the church and for all of our churches in the community. Now, he begins his prayer for this reason. Now, the reason uh, being all the stuff that's come before uh, chapter 3, verse 14. Specifically, he's referring to the mission that's been given to him, the revelation of the spirit that's been given to him, that the gospel will not just be for the Jewish people, but it is to spread to the gentile people as well in other words it's meant for the whole world and so paul sets out to do exactly that with his mission trips to plant churches that the gospel might spread and it's here that we see this revelation come to full fruition as we look back on um, a verse like Genesis 3:12, where God promises that in to Abraham that in him all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we know that this blessing uh, comes through the Jewish people, specifically through Christ. And now we see that through this blessing of Christ, through this revelation of the Spirit to Paul, that this is going forth to all the world. And so this is uh, Paul's prayer, that the church would be strengthened. And this is where we get this, you know, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name, that God is no longer just a Jewish God, that he is the God of all, and everyone will know it. As every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, it's interesting that he does say, I bow my knees before the Father. Uh, Here in the United States, and I guess in uh, Western Christian tradition, uh, bowing the knee uh, during prayer is something that is seen as, well, we don't even think twice about it anymore. It's just done. Uh, it's a reference to prayer. Uh, when you think of bowing the knee in church, it's automatically go to prayer. But here in this context, uh, the in Paul's world, kneeling while praying uh, was not that common. Although we do have examples of um, people kneeling in the Bible, such as Solomon and Daniel, um, which were Special circumstances. It was not a, a common form. Um, what we find in prayer was usually standing up uh, in recognition of the resurrection or lying prostrate uh, on your face before God, completely spread out. So, but when we see Paul saying, I bow my knees before the Father, This is an act of submission. It's an act of Paul submitting himself to God on behalf of the revelation that's been given to him. He is submitting himself, submitting his life to this work. And specifically to the Gentile people on behalf of God to be their apostle. So kneeling. Whenever you're kneeling in prayer, automatically go to the fact that, you know, this isn't just what we do in prayer. This is you submitting to the Lord. Think of Christ in the garden. Yeah. Like so many, I never really did uh, imagine it too much of him uh, kneeling in the garden before God. But it was an act of Christ Submitting to God's will, submitting to the cross, knowing what's coming. So we get into the meat of this prayer now, which is verses 16 through 19 is where we find these petitions. And the first petition, he says, I I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Spirit. Now, keep in mind that I know we have a tendency to go straight to the individual, uh, to hear these prayers in individual language, and to use them uh, as a part of our rugged individualism. But this is not Paul's intent. Paul is praying for the church. When you see uh, words like you and your, these are plural. This is um, for the church so when he's praying that you may be strengthened he's praying that the church may be strengthened that the church would be strengthened to the point in its inner being and we go to this part though in 17 that gets to the meat of what strengthening in the inner being with the power of his spirit what this is what this really means Uh, So we get to the meat of it in 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love, that Christ may dwell in your hearts as you are being rooted and grounded in love. That is the whole point of this uh, strengthening. Now, this is not something that we can accomplish on ourselves. This is something that the Spirit it gives to us. The, the Spirit makes Christ present for us. The Spirit makes Christ present in us. This is the source of this strengthening. It's not something that we can uh, do on our own. It's something that we pray for. It's something that we pray to experience. It's something that we strive after to receive from the hand of God himself, which wants to give this to us. But that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And I, I love this. Uh, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Now, when you when you think of the church being rooted and grounded in love. You know, one of my first thoughts goes to the uh, the redwood forest. And you think of all those uh, beautiful trees uh, standing extremely tall and extremely big trees. But what many people don't realize about the redwood is their roots. Their roots don't go that deep. Uh, what, five, six feet deep? but they are very thick roots and they are spread outward and they root um they fuse with the other trees and they become intertwined in a in a complex root system as the roots spread outward and connect with the other trees and they're all connected together rooted together and i and i think of the church in this uh scenario, that what if the church, you know, comes together, prays together, sings song hymns together, praises God together, does ministry together, becomes rooted in the love of Christ together. Now that would be the definition of church being rooted in the love of Christ together. And then we get to this second petition, which is, uh, well, it's the hope of what is to be accomplished in the first petition in verse 18. He says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Now, this is just a metaphor. Uh, I know there's some writings out there about cosmic dimensions and all that stuff. This is just a metaphor for the infinite quality of the love of God. But he prays in 19, To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. But to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. In other words, we're back to that uh, thing again that has to be revealed to us. This is not something that we can just uh, go out and get on our own. This is not something that we can conjure up in our own minds. This is something that is revealed to us by the Spirit, by this uh, strengthening. This is an experience that we can have through the work of God. But the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge you know one of my uh, favorite books is uh, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis it's a fictional tale about a people in hell who are given one day and they get on a bus and they visit heaven for one day and they get to experience all the, all the greatness of heaven. But at the end of the day, they all get back on the bus and go back to hell. If I'm remembering correctly, there may be one that stayed, but I am pretty sure that it's, you know, but the point being that people get back on the bus and choose to go back to hell after they've experienced the joy of heaven. And one of the characters that's included in this is a preacher who, uh, well, can't handle the fact or can't be in a place where he's not the expert. And so he chooses to get back on the bus. And it's mind blowing for me, but here we get back to this point of being rooted and grounded the love of Christ and being able to comprehend the love of Christ now if we follow this uh, old tradition that Lewis follows uh, that through sin we were all turned inward going back to that Augustinian model that sin has turned us all inward to where we can't seek God but we have, but God has to do this for us. God has to turn us outward. God has to reveal his love in Christ to us. But Lewis writes a, an interesting uh, point at the end of the book. And he says, a damned soul is nearly nothing. It is shrunk shut up in itself, turned inward. Good beats upon the damned incessantly as sound waves beat on the ears of the deaf, but they cannot receive it. Their fists are clenched, their teeth are clenched, their eyes shut fast. First, they will not. That self-hardening of the heart. And in the end, they cannot open their hands for gifts or their mouth for food or their eyes to see. Friends, this is a model for us to let the love of Christ be in us, to let the love of Christ turn our hearts outward so that we may be able to unclench our fists, experience this love of Christ in us and in the church to experience this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that Christ would reveal this to us and we would be strengthened enough to receive it so that at the end of the day we may be filled with the fullness of God. And I think back, uh, to verse 20 here, when we get to the end of this prayer, he says, now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. I think a lot of, of, I think of the, the busyness that takes place in the church and uh, the church trying to work itself out of the hole. I think it's time that we as a church, and we as a community, turn back to God. That we turn to prayers like this. That we kind of get out of God's way. That we let Christ work in us. You know, I'm, I'm all the time hearing of, uh, well, the old saying is that pastors are always looking for a better church, and church members are always looking for a better pastor, and church members are even looking for a better church themselves, and you have all these conversations. And the truth is, I love uh, the meme that I, I saw on social media, where it says, Stop looking for a better church. And start being a better church member. Or, I would say it like this, stop looking for a better church. And start being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And start by following after Christ. Where the old saying goes, let God be God in you. So this is the prayer that God would strengthen us to the point that we could receive and that we could let the spirit work within us to the point that as Christ is dwelling in us, that we would grow in this love of Christ as his love is being rooted and grounded in us. And not only would that this would take place, but that we would be able to comprehend it, to know it, to experience it, to experience the love of Christ on a level that gets us out of our head, that turns us outward, that opens our hearts up to a hurting world. So may Christ turn us outward. Let God be God in you. And for the benediction we simply use, now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and forever. Amen.